live from a filthy jail cell on a particularly humid night in the Midwest. This is a very special 75th episode of Austin Danger Podcast. The only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. My name is Kev, and I'm joined as always by super producer extraordinaire Mackenzie Wilkes. (laughs) Hello, I'm in Chicago. That's how immersive I'm being for episode 75. And all that jazz. You know, uh, (laughs) you know, an old pal once said that most podcasts don't usually last past eight episodes. And in in figuring out what we were going to do on our show, I figured if eight episodes is like a quote average run, then 25 is an achievement. So every 25 episodes based on a coin flip early on in the show. Mackenzie and I get to take turns picking a movie. Mackenzie, I think it's already pretty clear by my hilarious bit. (laughs) But what's the movie we're talking about tonight? Oh, we are talking about one of my all-time favorite films. A film that I I think we've been teasing. Sorry, my cat is screaming bloody fucking murder on the door and I can't tell (laughs) if it's going to come up. I can't. Um, It's not coming through on on Riverside. Um, She she has to make her voice known. Um, It's a movie I think we've been teasing literally since we did Cabaret, like which was like our first wheel spin. I think we probably must have talked about it in that episode because it's a movie musical we both have connected on. One of my all-time faves, Chicago, 2002, Rob Marshall. You know, we talked about Rob Marshall a lot this year. It just feels like this was the movie to do, you know? This is one of the biggest years in Rob Marshall's career. <laughs> right? Truly. Now, everyone who listened to Austin News last week knows Austin Disney, eh. But we can all agree, The Little Mermaid is a miracle of like fun. Uh, a pretty fun, good live action Disney movie. Impossible. <laughs> yes. And now we return to Chicago. Very exciting. We're back. Well, Mackenzie, before we get into that or Austin news or anything else, I just wanted to let people know about some very exciting developments in this, the biggest summer in Austin Danger podcast history, TM. Um, Before we even got off the call to record the episode last week with Sophie still with us, (laughs) I got in contact with a dear friend of the show, pretty much as soon as I realized we were doing Terminator 2. When it comes to Arnold Schwarzenegger, there is really only, there are a lot of fans we know. I'm certainly one of them, right? We know a lot of Arnold fans, but there are a few true Arnold enthusiasts and historians. And so I am so proud and delighted to announce that our buddy Brandon Ulrich will be joining us to discuss Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I think... Arnold historian is the perfect way to put it. It's like there's, there's a level of, of knowledge. Uh, Brandon has ascended past all Arnold fans in my brain because he is just like, (laughs) he's on another level completely. I I called him out a couple weeks ago for his uh, minute by minute commentary review of the Netflix documentary, Arnold, which even if you haven't, you should definitely watch it. If you like anything Arnold's ever done, it's really great. Too short, but great. But uh, <laughs> he goes minute by minute in his letterbox review. I so um, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Arnold. We'll talk about James Cameron's return to the show mm-hmm. next week on Austin Danger Podcast. And then the week after that, well, we've been teasing this guest for months, and it's finally time. 
I got my ticket. You got yours. We mm-hmm. are both going, of course, opening weekend to the most Austin-like movie of 2023. Possibly. Possibly. And on a studio scale, absolutely. We're talking about Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to our picked guests, right? Brandon, big Arnold fan. Uh, Ian and Wayne's World. I talk, we talked about this last week with Sophie. We like to choose bespoke guests for certain films. And when it came to Barbie, there was really only one person in our Rolodex <laughs> to choose. Who else could we choose? From the D&D campaign that spawned Austin Danger podcast. <laughs> yeah. And you've heard her on the 70 millimeter pod. And I think uh, the Batman episode of Synonauts, I want to say, or Film Hags. I forget which one that was. Oh, the horny episode? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, that was, that was Film Hags, I believe. Our friend Becca Stone is joining us to discuss Barbie. Beck's checks to all those in Austin Nation. You know her, you love her, and you'll hear her on Austin Ninja Podcast very soon. So exciting. We've been like holding that back for so long and now everyone knows and I hope you all have your tickets to Barbie or Barbenheimer if you're doing the whole the whole day. Um, I'm so ecstatic to see Barbie and talk about it with you and Bex. Could you believe I took the day off because it was the only, well, I'm taking that a lot of Mondays off because it's the day I can take off. Mm-hmm. But one of those Mondays is because it's the only good seat I could get to 70 millimeter Oppenheimer in the giant IMAX. <laughs> wow. I got to find it when, when I'm seeing Oppenheimer. Yes. I, I do have my tickets melt. secured to Barbie. Locked and loaded. We're doing Dolby it. Vision, baby. Going in Dolby. I couldn't get I couldn't get a ticket anywhere, by the way, for Barbie. Wild. It was yeah. super hard to come by, which I, I mean, yeah. I live in New York, big city. It's funny because I'm going out to the suburbs and it. I bought my ticket like two weeks ago, which was still like a month in advance. And there was already mostly full. And I'm seeing yeah. my theater fill up more. I would be very shocked if I'm not seeing it with a completely full theater come the because I still am not seeing it for another 10 days. So I would not be shocked if my theater is completely full by the time I by the time it rolls around. But that is coming up on Austin Danger Podcast. Again, please stay tuned to our show and our social media, and we'll give you updates on things as they develop. I see a, a dark cloud in the distance, but I we'll talk about that when we get to it. <laughs> now, Mackenzie, for the first time in what feels like 25 years, I have to know, what have you been watching? Honestly, I haven't watched a ton. I've been like not in the damn it. mood to watch movies. <laughs> what I I played Disco Elysium twice on my week off. Wow. I God, what did I I watched 1776. Yes, yes. Oh man, I was like what's this? I can't I couldn't conjure it. I'm looking at the 4K on my shelf right now. Um I was so bored by it. Like I yep. here's the thing. I it was 4th of July and I wanted to watch Nashville. And then Rachel was like, I don't want to watch Nashville anymore. And I was like, okay, then what do we want to watch? And Rachel's like, I want to watch 1776. Okay. That's cursed. And I said, have you ever seen that? And she said, no. And I just, we put, we put it on. And so I was kind of a grumpy Gus. I will, I will self admit. I was a grumpy Gus heart closed, mind closed to this film. I was like, I am not Uh, letting this movie in because I wish I was watching a different movie. So I think that that is a big part of why I didn't like it. But like, man, this thing moves like 
fucking turtle. Like it is, it is a slow move. And this movie's long as hell. Kev, you're the musical theater guy. Whose idea yeah. was it to make a musical about this? Because they stretch things I feel like that should not be stretched. And it's the longest musical I've ever seen in my life. There are songs about like Thomas Jefferson's penis. And I'm like, why do I need to know about this? We're signing he the plays Declaration the of Independence. So I'm just yeah. confused um, about pretty much every aspect of this film, like why it was made, why people watch it. Um, why does it exist? I need you to answer those questions for me. Um, because it because it was not like 1969, 1970. And they were like, hey, you know what would be cool is if we did a musical for the Bicentennial. And back in the day, that's that much could get you produced. That's wild. Um, it is. I, I have to admit, I had seen maybe the first half hour, 45 minutes in someone else's history class. <laughs> our, our teacher brought us to this other, the other uh, teacher's history class. And we watched the first half hour. The first half hour is a mirage in the desert. It is very tricky. It makes you think this is going to be the most lit thing ever. Then mm. we are done with Herely, Therily, everywhere, Aliali. You're done. The whole thing is over until the egg, and then you're done. And that runtime is about 75 hours long. It is a long movie. And I don't hate a long movie, you know? I don't hate a long movie, but I did not like this. But here's the thing. On the Criterion Connection Instagram, I posted about 4th of July films, and like 50 people said 1776. And I think that is what yeah, inspired Rachel to old. put it on. <laughs> um, I have to be honest. It is old, right? That's so. true. And it's about, I mean... It's about literally about it. Yeah. So clearly there's a lot of love for it. I don't mean to like hate on a film. If you love this film, tell us why on Austin danger podcast at gmail.com. Um, but I was not a 1776 okay. person. Yes. Can I just say, I hate to interject. No, please always interject. 1776 links to Austin powers in gold member. How the fuck is it? Music. One link. Oh my God. Who else could it be? You know, you hear an awful lot of the flute in the score of 1776. Oh, and one it, of the it, most it's, famous it's flautists we know oh my God. is Luis de Tulio. Yes, I was like, I know her. It's her and Malcolm McNabb are like the icons. <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh, Luis. I swear to God, if I have to watch that movie again, I'm going to pass out. <laughs> I'll just say I watched it and I won't actually watch it again. Oh my God. Oh, but I will say, you know, I, I cannot get my brain to focus on a movie lately. So I think I am shifting into rewatch mode because rewatching Chicago felt amazing. Rewatched Fantastic Mr. Fox the other night before bed felt amazing. This afternoon popped on Debs. Felt yeah, amazing. I saw that. So, you know, if you are on my letterbox and you start saying a bunch of just five star rewatches, it's because because mama's in need of some comfort movies. So I'm, I'm moving into comfort movie mode and just going to keep, I might just try to get some passion back by rewatching movies. I already love, uh, instead of kind of just feeling this like pressure to be like, I have to discover new cinema every day of my life. So, uh, I might just start doing some rewatches and that might be my life. It's not a bad thing. Kev, did you watch anything interesting this last week? Like oh 1776? <laughs> I watched all of the Mission Impossible movies, which Ooh, was great, but well, I almost all of them. I had to miss uh, Dead Reckoning Part One. I'm going Friday afternoon. I'm very excited. <laughs> but uh, those will all be future episodes of Austin Danger Podcast, so I'll save that. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to the best 
person who witnessed a death oh. <laughs> of Austin Nation, yes. Scott and Tarante. You cannot get over that. I love it. Host of the the podcast, This is the Greatest Song I've Ever Heard in My Entire Life, now on hiatus, but very entertaining and fun show. Yeah. Um, I started listening we're biased to it. Really because great. he's our friend, but yeah. okay. We went to the Museum of the Moving Image this past Sunday, and we saw the entire original trilogy of Star Wars in a giant theater that was not air conditioned. Oh my god! So I did. I have to say, I had a great time. I had a lot of fun. I did think during Empire Strikes Back, what if this is how I died? <laughs> It was, was it pretty hot. Broken? Like, why was it unair conditioned? I hope it was broken. Well, last summer I went and I saw Strictly Ballroom on 35 millimeter there, and I did not feel like an egg then. <laughs> but the whole building, I, it, ha- it has to be broken because they were handing out cold water bottles everywhere. Oh, but like little so ones, funny. cheap little ones. <laughs> yeah. I was like, fuck you. Like, why even offer it? Like, this little cheap water bottle. Um, well, they were handing those out, and the whole building was like super hot. So I was upstairs Jeez. looking at Big Bird and uh, I was jealous of Big Bird because he was uh, behind glass <laughs> stuffed. But no, we had a great time. But again, those are future Austin pod episodes. I cannot wait until you see Return of the Jedi, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> that is going to be quite an episode. I'm excited. We I guess have, we're, I feel like we're overdue to return to the Star Wars to the Star Wars universe. We are well overdue, and there's like the other all the other movies. There are ten of them are on the wheel, so or Jeez. nine of them. Yeah, there are no ten because Solo. Yeah, ten. It's Rogue One Solo. on the wheel. Yep. Yeah, that's like Rachel's favorite, so I feel like it has to be on the wheel. Or I'll, uh, or I'll, I'll do... get divorced. <laughs> For it will be thrust upon me if Rogue One is not on the wheel. Well, luckily, it's more like nine Empire Strikes Back entries on the wheel. <laughs> right this is what we do here i do want to really quick uh, run a little long but i do want to give a quick shout out to also to dear friend of the show brian who brought me to the broadway theater to see here lies love the new musical about ferdinand and imelda marcos their rise and fall by david byrne and fat boy slim they took the broadway theater and they gutted it and they made it into a dance club i don't know uh-huh. how it makes money but it is the I'll put it this way. If I see a better show in the next year, I will have been replaced with AI. <laughs> I don't That's see amazing. it happening. I Not even the it. fancy cabaret. That's awesome. It sounds like it, it looked, it looks cool. I got like an ad for it randomly and I was like, wow, this looks really awesome. It was awesome <laughs> on the dance floor. I don't know what the mezzanine, I'm sure the front mezzanine is fine, but the back mezzanine feels like it's, Across the street at Stephen Colbert. <laughs> like you're on the moon, basically. Uh, but that's but a taste. Again, rewatches, though. This Star Wars thing blew my mind because we were in there for seven, eight hours, just mm-hmm. like one after the other after the other. No air conditioning. It flew right by. It felt real good. That's amazing. It is amazing. Well, speaking of flying right by and being amazing. Whoop did news. What does it all mean, Basil? You know, folks, the schedule, time, time itself. Uh, maybe our younger <laughs> listeners might want to listen to these two time. old crows. 
time moves very quickly, doesn't it? It's already Wednesday night. It'll be Thursday afternoon tomorrow. Isn't that crazy? Time is wild. With that in mind, we would like to wish a dear, happy, belated birthday to two future Austin Danger podcast legends. Number one, of course, I think all of the cast should be automatic legends, but we'll work yes. on that next year. We'll mm-hmm. get there. Not to produce on the show. <laughs> I don't care. Our dear sweet Frau Farbesson and Mindy Sterling. Oh, yes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And while I was while I was looking that up, I realized uh, one of the most intriguing performers that we've talked about on Austin Pod, in my opinion, Miles Korich himself, the great Stephen Lang, also celebrated his birthday on July 11th. Happy birthday, Stephen. Remember when we froze your semen? <laughs> that, it sounds like I'm saying that to, to Stephen Lang, but, but that was supposed to be for Mindy Sterling. Remember when we wished happy birthday to Stephen? <laughs> Stephen oh. Lang, come on Austin Pod. Minnie Sterling, come on Austin Pod. I need to get more. I need. To, I do really need to get more um, audio audio things for this. I bet you, if we DM'd Minnie Sterling tonight, she would she would give us half an hour. <laughs> we should. We should reach out. I would love that. Anyway, anyway, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. Next up in Austin news, shout out to Stephanie Shu in the pages of Vanity Fair. Or should I say, Vanity Fair's new video series, A-List. Speaking with contributing editor Franklin Leonard, Stephanie gave a list of her favorite dual role performances in film and television. Because, as we all know, Stephanie plays Joy and Jobutapaki in Everything Everywhere All at Once, I think is the thinking there. She won in Austin for that, if you recall. That's right. And future episode of the show i have no doubt further down the road yes her first pick her favorite dual role performance mike myers <gasps> as austin powers dr evil gold member and fat bastard i was unaware of this wow i love that the only quote i haven't seen the video full disclosure <laughs> the only quote they pulled was I haven't seen the movies in a while. I do wonder how they would play now. Oh, Stephanie. (laughs) Stephanie, there's only one way to find out. Watch with us, Stephanie. Come on Austin Pod. Promote Joyride on Austin Pod. My God, could you imagine? (laughs) We become like a press stop for people. Yeah. could happen you know <laughs> Maybe, i'm not it's gonna like lie. hot I wanna... ones you know it's like when people go on it now it's like oh they're looking for an <laughs> oscar now it's true uh we got to get moving but i do also want to say that um i want to apologize to jamie lee curtis and thank her for supporting the sag aftra and wga strikes um <laughs> jamie lee curtis if you're listening to this and you're not um i wanted to literally figure out your publicist and reach out to you not as a joke I did want to try to get you on Austin Pod, and uh, I would love to make that happen I one day. That. And thank you for not promoting Haunted Mansion, because fuck those guys, fuck Haunted Man. We're done with Haunted Mansion professionally. So, oh my gosh, thank you, I, I feel like when Austin Pod is done in, in twenty five years, I think that your relationship with Jamie Lee Curtis, your parasocial relationship with Jamie Lee Curtis, is going to be one of the most compelling pieces of deep lore. 
of Austin Nation. Can we right now <laughs> guess what the first Jamie Lee Curtis movie is going to be on Austin Pod? I don't know what's on the wheel. Unfortunately, the original Halloween is not on the wheel, even though the David Gordon Green trilogy does link. That pisses me off. I may just put it on because it's my show and I could do whatever I want. I, I, I'm not sure what's on the wheel, but based on the vibe, I would guess maybe True Lies or Freaky Ooh, Friday. Oh, yes. Because True Lies, yes. I know Jimmy Freaky Cameron. Friday. But Freaky Friday could also be very fun and is also kind of in wheelhouse. So That movie is great. That movie rips. So I feel like I could see you my, guys doing Freaky Friday. My family all watched it. We were all in the living room one afternoon when it was just on. And we all got into it and we're like, this is like, we were shocked. Jamie Lee, don't take it personally. We were like shocked. Well, because all the other shitty remakes in that period, excluding Parent Trap, were so bad. It's, it's not sh- on the wheel, but I'm going to add it to the wheel right now. It connects. I love it. Guaranteed. Gar- yeah, it right guaranteed. Now. There's a 0% chance that doesn't connect. Are you kidding me? Folks, if, you, if you've ever been curious as to how stuff gets on the wheel, our DMs are basically this a lot of the day when it's not like complaining. <laughs> yes. Freaky Friday has so many connections. Yeah, yes, I was about to say, it's like the same wheel. time and same kind of vibe. Like, there's no way. Jamie Lee Curtis, if you're listening to this, we will not promote a single thing you've ever done presently. Uh, we will follow WGA and SAG after strike rules, Fran. Okay. What if um, we, we have her on to talk about Freaky Friday? Like anything's possible, Jamie. Please call us. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> Jamie, get in here. I'm just kidding about your Instagram. I love your Instagram. I'm obsessed <laughs> with it. All right. So enough with the Jamie Lee Curtis. It is finally time. We're, we're making good time this week. Episode 75, I'm putting on a bowler hat. Ooh. I'm lighting a cigarette through the stocking, the fishnet stocking I'm wearing on my head. <laughs> yes. I uh, I keep doing Hey Big Spender from Sweet Charity. It's a different. Wildly different, different show. Different Fosse situation. Wildly different show. But Mackenzie, please let us, let us now go. Please bring us in to your number 75 pick. Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen. Chicago's hottest dancing duo. Two jazz babes moving as one. The Kelly Sisters. Come on, baby, why don't we paint the town? And all that jazz, I'm gonna rouge my knees and roll my stockings down. And all that jazz, start the car. I know a whoopee spot where the gin is cold, but the piano's hot. It's just a noisy hall where there's a nightly brawl and all that jazz. It's 1924 in the city of Chicago, and housewife Roxy Hart watches vaudeville star Velma Kelly on stage and dreams of being a star herself. Unknowingly to Roxy, right before the show, Velma Kelly slew her husband and sister and soon would be caught for murder. Roxy Hart returns to her apartment with her lover, Fred Casely, and through a time jump, we see that months and months and months later, Fred Casely 
is lying a little bit about his connections to the club in order to sleep with her. And now that she's realized, she's enraged, and she shoots him dead as Velma Kelly did her own lover. She convinces her gullible husband, Amos, to take the blame, but pretty quickly he realizes he's being played, and Roxy is arrested. At the Cook County Jail, Roxy is sent to the murderess's row, supervised by matron Mama Morton. She learns the backstories of all the other women there, including Velma Kelly, her idol turned now maybe enemy, as Roxy engages with Velma's lawyer, the brilliant Billy Flynn. Flynn knows how to manipulate the press, reinventing the women he defends and getting them off with murder. The two of them work together in order to build Roxy's fame, and she becomes more and more famous and desired as her case becomes bigger and bigger in the city of Chicago. Velma, unhappy at losing the attention, tries to convince Roxy to join her dual act, replacing the sister that she murdered. But Roxy, now that she has the power, decides to snub Velma. And the name on everybody's lips will only be Roxy. The trial goes on without a hitch. It's a very exciting and amazing section of the film that we will get into. He tap dances. <laughs> it's fabulous. It's its whole thing. <laughs> Flynn plays the jury like a fiddle and gets Roxy off with murder. Pretty much immediately after her trial is done, though, another case grabs the attention of the public, and she realizes that though she desires this vaudeville career, it may not happen because the public has completely lost interest in her. But Velma Kelly, also finding no success outside of jail, approaches Roxy to suggest performing as a double act again, consisting of two murderesses. Roxy initially refuses, but she's a little bit desperate. So they perform together despite their mutual resentment and stage a spectacular performance invigorating the audiences jurors Flynn Morton and many others in the city of Chicago don't know if I'm actually 100% sure on your history with this film. We've talked a bit about Rob Marshall. Did you see Chicago when it came out? I know we were both very young. What's your history with Chicago, the musical, and maybe the film itself? This was like around the time where I was getting into like movies, you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we rented this and watched it from Blockbuster Video. Back when that was a thing. Remember? Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. God, can I tell can we all wake up and stop with the blockbuster? We get it. We all went to Blockbuster and it's over. And we're sad. <laughs> I don't understand. Anyway, the point is. Uh and I loved it. I got it right away. I, I had a really fun time with it at like what, eleven? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I really didn't understand it. I remembered more than I thought, though, on this revisit. I haven't seen it since, I don't think. I may have seen it once in the, geez, 20 years. Wow, really? Oh, my God. Yeah, 20, 21, 22 years or so. It's recent. Scary. <laughs> and uh, I finally saw the show on stage on Monday, and we'll talk about that as we go on in this. So Love it fun how about you Mackenzie I mean again 
Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a biggie. It's a biggie for me. I've loved this movie pretty much since it came out. Um, <laughs> I, I, this is one of my favorite stories kind of about my childhood. Uh, when I was little, I lived with my great grandmother, my grandmother and my mother. So it was four generations of women all under the same roof. And, uh, my grandmother, great grandmother was pretty much bedridden and sick for most of my childhood. But like, we spent a lot of time together. Uh, we, we always watched ice skating together after school and we would eat Whoppers, the, the, the chocolate malt, covered you know the balls i would call them mud balls so i did not know for the longest time that they were called whoppers i thought they were just i just called them mud balls i don't know why huh (laughs) i have no idea but i ate mud balls and i watched ice skating with my great-grandmother and we were best friends and she really wanted to go see this movie and i'm pretty sure she wasn't supposed to drive because she was fully on oxygen but she was like peak which was my nickname she gave me. Um, so my great-grandmother called me Peek. So she was like, hey, Peek, I really want to go see this movie. We're going to go see this movie. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but okay. And we snuck out of the house one night. And I was like fully six, maybe seven. And my uh, great-grandmother took me to see Chicago in theaters when I was like really, really little. And I wow. don't remember really that, ex- like seeing the film, like at that age, like I pretty much don't remember anything before I was like 14, but like in, in a detail like that. But I remember like that memory of going and I remember that being a really positive memory. And me and my grandmother also would go see Phantom of the Opera a few years later. So like I had, a, I had definitely had grandparents who like loved musical theater and wanted to take me to that. And when we talk about hairspray one day, we'll talk about really my my deep love of musical theater and how my grandmother was definitely the cultivator of that. But when I really think about it, my great grandmother taking me to Chicago is really the seed of musical theater in my life. And I've always loved this movie growing up. It's a movie I've just always watched. Like if it's on TV, I'd sit down and watch it. I always owned it on DVD. Since having Letterbox for the past two and a half so years, I've logged it five times. Um, which is like (laughs) a lot, but also I could watch it more. I could literally put on Chicago any day of the week. It's one of those. I think we've talked about it a bit when we talk about things like strictly ballroom or, or down with love or Charlie's angels. Like it's one of those movies that are really ingrained into my life. Um, for just such a long time. And it's, it's one of those movies that like it's, I have it basically memorized at this point. Like I was just singing along and I was just able to walk around my house while I was watching it. And, and, I knew immediately what was happening and exactly what was going on on screen. And yeah, Chicago is one of those like movies that I just love a lot. And, you know, I've always wanted to watch it with you and discuss it with you. So that's why I knew I had to pick it for our big 75. So yeah, I love this movie. This movie is really special to me. And I think it's, for me, it's probably my favorite movie musical ever made. Uh, I think it does such a brilliant job of elevating the source material uh, and making Mm -hmm. it wholly unique with amazing performances I love this movie. I just talked for too long, but let's do it. I want to start with a talk about the whole thing through one lens. There's a motif in this film where we keep cutting back to this theater. We see it in the real world in the opening where Roxy is at the show uh, as Velma does all that jazz. Mm-hmm. But then we keep cutting back to it when it's time for characters to do opening numbers. The club is impossible. It was constructed from scratch in Canada. So thanks, Canada. <laughs> and it uh, it's this otherworldly thing where all the songs take place. Yeah, I mean, I 
I think this would maybe be an interesting place to talk about the production because at least when I saw it on tour, it very much has a cabaret feel to it. Like it's not like minimal sets and props and like people in all black performing the story for you is, and you just saw the Broadway production. So I'm curious if that is what you saw. Like, for me, it was, I was shocked when I saw the tour, how stripped, which is, you know, the Broadway tour. So I was assuming there's some similarities, but I remember being kind of surprised at how stripped down it was because my whole life I had only ever seen the film. So is the Broadway production still yeah. sort of that vibe? Yeah. So this revival was staged in like 1996, yeah. 20 years after the original as a concert. And they added a bunch of different choreography and added some things here and there. And they, you know, and Ryan King was the choreographer who did it after Bob Fosse. Mm-hmm. Right. This, this kickstarted a vibe on Broadway that ran through like a musical review of Bob Fosse stuff and Alan Cumming and Cabaret, which mm-hmm. while it preceded Chicago really rode that wave when it came to when, when they did it Cabaret in New York yeah, at Studio 54. Um, because it would always look so similar in the ads, right? Like mm-hmm. Al- Alan Cummings, like I'm a shirtless man. And that was like <gasps> dangerous. His nipples yeah, are electric red. <laughs> and then, and then Cabaret is a musical about like sleeping in a bathtub in the 1930s. Anyway. <laughs> um, so it's a concert kind of, yeah, it's an elevated like. concert. Um, I do not mean this in a negative or offensive way. I don't mean it in a bad way. I actually found it quite like there was an endearing quality about it, but like endearing is usually a negative thing Mm, plot mm -hmm. like covered, but like I was really just excited to see how much this felt like a regular night at work. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's interesting. I've been Roxy Hart for 30 years. (laughs) And when I do this, I go like that. And when I go over here, I say this like, Mm a workman like quality to it that i really liked but um i was like wow this concert's been running on broadway for 30 years like how well how is that it's easy to put in guest stars yes and my showing you know my performance which was the monday of july 4th weekend was packed wow that's wild to me that people are still showing up for it, which I mean, it's great. I think Chicago is a great musical, but I am glad to hear that it's like the same staging. So we, we at least have the same idea in our minds. Cause yeah, it does feel like a cabaret. It feels like a concert kind of. And so I think that's what I mean when I say Rob Marshall really elevates the material for me because he makes it because when you're seeing it, like I, I was thinking specifically about when you're good to mama, I think is amazing in the movie. Queen Latifah's was the perfect cast at this point in time. And I would still say now for major mama Morton, and but like when i saw major mama morton live it's just like an aging actress who brings a chair out and will just like sit down and be like oh and yeah good to mama and you're like you're not even yeah you're not doing anything and so i love this framing device back to what you were starting with with the theater i love the framing device that rob marshall uses here that he would kind of reuse in nine this idea oh, of the songs are happening in the mind's eye of Roxy Hart, right? Like these, it's, it's part of her delusions of grandeur that these numbers are happening. So he gives the audience sort of a gateway to these musical numbers that they're not happening in real life. They're happening in Roxy's mind, but they're still 
fleshed out and interesting and compelling and let you into not only the characters, but how Roxy sees those characters and how Roxy therefore sees herself, right? I think the production number of Roxy is one of the most fun ones because Renee Zellweger is able to just relish in the way that Roxy sees herself or wants to see herself. I think Rob Marshall elevated the material by making it feel fully fleshed out like a show. Um, and it's and I and I think the framing device is what makes it work so well, I think, as a stage to screen adaptation. Yeah, he gave it a point of view. Yes, yeah. Which is like so sorely missing from this production. Hey, maybe it so here's the so this is I alluded to this in my letterbox review. I wrote five hundred words about it and then deleted it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to bring it here. You know, this is 20 years old, just over 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And Chicago, the staging we saw is almost 30 years old. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I was missing something in both. I feel like they could have been a little more incisive about like our real world. Mm-hmm. Rob Marshall, as you said, is a little more interested in Roxy's interior world and how that's refracted through vaudeville. Yeah. I'll, I'll fuck with that. I think that's cool. Uh, the stage musical is a concert staging of Chicago with some Bob Fosse choreography. And that's hey, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I just feel like you gotta, you gotta play with the motif. Like you gotta stage it a little or in my blend opinion. them a bit more like blend the two. Yeah. yeah. I will say, though, on the movie, I was not crazy about the constant. I thought they used too much the coming back to reality in the songs. Ooh, what do you mean? I felt like we could have seen that on stage a little more. I think I would have liked that a little bit more if it were incorporated into the vaudeville bit Mm. versus like cutting back to real life as like Roxy gets brought to her cell or there is one later, I forget the number now, which I wish I should have wrote it down. Let me see. But there is one that just like goes on and on with the coming back to real life. I was not crazy. Is it, about it. I can't do it alone. That pops back and forth a lot. Yeah, I think so. Well, the, the point I'm making is like, I liked, love the motif, love going to the motif. I would have liked to see more of that blend mm-hmm. versus like, the harsh reality part coming in and breaking up the, the fun, I guess. It's funny. Cause even a few years later, we were talking about this off air. The producer's film um, would come under, I feel like a lot of fire from critics for being too stagey, which is interesting. Cause I yeah. feel like that, cause like there's a lot of like flat cinematography. Like you look like the, the Bialystok. I mean, I love that movie, but the Bialystok like office is clearly like a, a one like a 2d set like the stage office set like and i and i i totally get that um criticism of the film um so it's interesting that idea of like how do you write that line right because and i you know i think hairspray is a very successful movie musical and but it it also is very cinematic it's like not stagey at all so it's interesting it's like how do you ride that line between when you're adapting something from the stage being stagey and being not um 
yeah i don't know if i have an answer to that i just think that's an interesting thing to talk about or think about i like the two the real world and the musical i felt like i could use more of the blend that's all yeah. that's all the, uh, and that's hey look spoiler alert that's the only like vaguely negative note i have <laughs> except for like i also feel like there's something to be said here about like the real world that is not said. And I don't know if that's the text. I mean, at the end, Roxy and Velma go on stage and they go like, we couldn't have done it without you. You are who made us. It felt very like Hal Princey kind of hmm. political theater to me. And that just doesn't, it doesn't ring to a higher point the way I feel like it might've been intended to. I mean, yeah, I, I know that, I mean, the original play, right, was written by a woman who was a reporter during a lot of these trials. So, like, the Velma Kelly and Roxy Hart are based off of real women who existed during this time. And I'm sure, and, and I wanted to bring it up because I said it a bit in the synopsis, the, um, the Hungarian woman, there's a book about her now, actually, uh, called Ugly wow, Prey. Really? Yeah, An Innocent Woman and the Death Sentence that Scandalized the Jazz Age of Chicago. I haven't had the chance to read it yet, but I was reading an article about it that I can link in our show notes. And it's called Ugly Prey because that was sort of the thing of like, she was ugly. I mean, I, I don't think this actress is ugly and I don't think that the woman was ugly, but that is what she was perceived at at that time. And um, the write-up is so interesting because they were saying how like prosecutors at this time wanted a win. And so many women were getting off on their own, on their looks, on their connections, on their money, on their power. As we see in the film, I think with, Lucy Liu's heiress with Roxy and Velma. Um, but there were poor, quote unquote, ugly people who uh, and women who did not have the access that these other women had. And she died. And this was like a very real woman who died during this era. And she was the first woman hanged in Cook County. And so I'm agreeing with you that there's like, there's something to be mined there, right? There's something interesting there. The Hungarian woman is always the most like, kind of ran jarringly heartbreaking moment to me because it is just like so sad that she dies and there is something to be said about like the sensationalism of of murder right that we see that a lot more i think now with true crime which i feel like we kind of talked about on some episode recently and that's sort of the thing is like velma and and roxy are able to be successful because they're 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 titillating they killed people you know um because they're uh they're t their tlc reality show is popular yeah they are true crime podcasters. They, yeah. uh, yeah. So like there's, there's definitely, I feel like there's definitely commentary to be said. I don't think Rob Marshall was like interested in mining that out, but like it's, right. Yeah, it's Which there. is like, I wish it was there. And then, and then by the time we got to that point in Chicago, I knew, and again, I had a great time. It's a fun show. <laughs> Everybody's great. Please don't get me wrong. But I was like, okay, they're not interested in doing that either. They're interested in doing some fossey, like, Sorry, I'm wiggling my torso I love the around. Yeah, I'm digging these wigs. I'm like, I'm like putting <gasps> oh, on a bowler hat. Hands you had, yeah. Oh yes. You know, a lot of hands around the I'm face. Giving, I love it. If you watched, if you watched all that jazz for the Criterion Connection a couple <laughs> yes. weeks ago, you got it. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> right. Because I feel like I wonder. I don't think that stuff is bad. I don't think it's for the record. I think it's high camp. I don't think it's sexy. But maybe it was sexy in 1996. It was definitely sexy in 1976. I think the women, I think the sub tango is a very sexy number. The women are, uh, hey, look. Awooga. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. Randy Roundtable obliterated anytime any woman's on screen in this film. Well, that's that's the thing too, is 
there's no Fosse really to be found. There's like the vague trademarks of Fosse, mm-hmm. but the the choreography in this film feels very new in comparison to Ryan King's kind of Fosse inspired choices in the stage version. I was looking it up and Rob Marshall choreographed it, I guess as well as directing it. So I'm curious if he wanted to just go in a different direction than Fosse and try to separate himself from that, I guess as a choreographer, I would suppose. Yeah. I think that's totally valid. I think that might be true. Well, I think that one of the best parts of this film is the cast and the numbers. And so I, I, I want to suggest maybe we just talk about maybe some of our favorite cast members and the, and the numbers they sang and why we like them. Um, would you like to start? Who's, who's the biggest standout to you? I mean, I have an inkling, but. I have been talking about this for like six months on the show. So <laughs> it should come as no surprise that my MVP is absolutely the glass of milk in the, no, it's Richard Gere. <laughs> And uh, I just think he's incredible. Like he's incredible. Like he flies off the screen. How do you like you fall for it? Even though it's a very clear, like past use musical, you're like totally bought into it. I think his, his musical performance compared to like, he, he recalls Jerry Orbach. I mean, it's not like the look I've heard a vocal, right? (laughs) So, um, but for for Richard Gere singing show tunes, I think it's pretty damn good. And it, again, it leans towards Orbach's original performance just a No, he's it. amazing. Yeah, me, me, and Rachel and our, our dear friend Bridget call him Dick Gear in our group chats, and we love Dick Gear. We're always texting about him. I have weirdly watched like seven Richard Gear movies this year. He's really? like one of my top watched actors. I don't know why. I can't get enough. <laughs> have you seen Richard Primal Gere. Fear? I have not. No, I love. Oh, uh, that movie. Shall kicks we ass. dance? I love Watch Days of Heaven. So I recently I watched. Oh yeah, uh, you American did not Gigolo. Uh, yeah, I've, I've watched a lot of kind of randomly just watched a lot of Richard Gear. I adore him. So far, I would still say, even though I've watched a decent amount of Richard Gere films, this is my favorite performance by him. He is magnetic. He is dripping in charisma. You're right. He just blows off the screen. Every number of his is so good. All I care about is love is so cheeky and funny. And I love the choreography in that number with all the women making up cars and other various kind of pieces of set that he is working with. The women making that up with their bodies is amazing. Um, I love Razzle Dazzle. Amazing number. Probably one of my favorite in the whole film. I mean, they're all my favorites, but I I just, his tap dance, his jury tap dance, that whole scene where he is running the courtroom. uh, He's just brilliant in this movie. I find it, we'll get into it. I love gold, but I find it very shocking. He was like one of the only actors in this film, not nominated for an Academy award. Um, But I think this is a wonderfully strong performance from Richard Gere. 
Uh, I adore him as Billy Flynn. Gone! What more can I tell you? What more can I say? I love the guy. He's just the best. I don't know. <laughs> well, speaking of the men in this movie... John C. Oh, our boy, returning future Austin Ninja podcast legend, John C. Riley, from our Heart Aid episode. Have we covered anything else from him? I think that's it, shockingly. Let me tell you, Walk Hard is going to be one of the great episodes of this show. Just you it wait. Will. It Mackenzie, will. three out of five, me in shock. <laughs> Stay I've, tuned. I've watched that before. I don't know if I rated it. I can't remember. <laughs> so there's not a ton of Amos, and I did. I thought that Amos stuff got cut, but no, it seems like we got all the Amos that made sense to include. Mm. Right. But even with that limited role, which is a showcase role, if you can work it, John C. Riley is brilliant. He's brilliant. I also want to go on record and say, I have walk hard, the Dewey Cox story at four stars currently. So, and my oh review my God. is, my review is he needs more blankets and he needs less blankets which is one of the funniest <laughs> lines from that movie. Um, that movie's great. Um, no, he's so good. Yeah, I, I Mr. Like, I feel like Mr. Cellophane, right? Like, if you're not a suave Billy Flynn type, Mr. Cellophane is like the musical theater guy solo um, for guys who don't, who are like, who sh- shift more of those supporting roles. Uh, and it's a great song. And I love John C. Riley's performance he gives such a heartbreaking and such a truthful and lovely performance in this film. And it's funny cause I see him in Magnolia and I see him in heart eight and I see him in this, and I see all this like serious grounded work he's doing. Uh, and it's wild, even more wild to me that he becomes obviously more known, I think for his kind of more broad comedy performances when he is such a brilliant actor in these more dramatic roles. I know there's a level of camp here in Chicago, but he still sells the heart and that heartbreak and that, 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 very grounded emotional core of Amos that is needed, I think, in a film this campy. I think should I bend my name, Mr. Cellophane, cause you can look right through me, walk right by me, and never know. Absolutely. I'm looking him up on Wikipedia right now and he has the wildest hat I've ever seen in my life. And he's wearing it in every single photograph I can find of him on the internet. It is a white. It has a, it's his hat on letterbox too. Yeah. Yeah. Look at this hat. Wow. This is a hat. I can't believe this is where I'm at right now. (laughs) But no, I, again, I, I think there's something that's been lost by that, right? Like, we'll see the real nadir of comedy John C. Riley when we do Holmes and Watson on this show, which mm-hmm. I haven't even seen, but I've seen enough. You know, sometimes you've seen enough. Mm-hmm. I get it. But again, he's, he's giving us the full 
the full range. And there's like an understanding and a humanity in there that is just, again, like to know him as Dr. Steve Brule first and mm. then to come back mm-hmm. to this. Or I guess I didn't, right? Because this was 2002. So I was seeing it as a kid. He stuck with me then. And mm. uh, that's with the way my brain was. That's that's the ultimate flattery, I think, is that it Kevin, stuck with me. I need to reveal to you. So audience, Kevin and I were talking randomly about the hours before we started recording. Is he in the hours? He's too? in the hours, apparently. Yeah. Can we do a bonus on the hours? <laughs> We uh, we should. We were talking about it before the recording. Wild. How there was the another one that I was like, we should just do nine. <laughs> we should just do nine. Honestly, get Ian in here, and we'll just do nine. We'll just do nine. We got to do nine. Well, we'll just. Gosh, I hate. I wish I could talk about Chicago all night. And you made a joke also before recording of like, if this episode's three hours long, it's my fault, and that is true. But I feel like we cannot leave this episode not talking about the lead ladies of this movie that's right save the best for last yeah we got to talk about Catherine Tita jones and renee zellweger i think two powerhouse performances i love both of these performances so much um god we'll talk about Catherine a little bit more probably and i love gold but i just i i love her smarm i love her sex appeal she's gorgeous she filmed this a lot of this while pregnant which is like the whoa did you know that she what? filmed i can't no. do it alone when she was like fully five months pregnant which is bonkers that's like my vigo breaking his toe thing is me telling people <laughs> did you know she was pregnant when she filmed this uh that's, that's amazing though yeah and so she's phenomenal and i honestly like renee's performance better than i do Catherine's. Um, because Renee gets like unhinged a lot in a way that I find really fun. And every time she does Roxy, that number, um, I am just like, I'm in the palm of her hand. I think she's so great in that number. And she's, she nails this kind of naivete, but this venom, like Roxy is such a bad person, uh, and can also be such a dumbass. And she kind of nails both of those aspects while also having that conniving, um, shark-like aspect of rocks i don't she just balances all these layers that you need to i think with this character uh the delusion with with the talent with you know it's it's a lot of things packed into one role and i i love renee zellweger's performance as roxy here how do you feel about these ladies kev no no i mean no notes i i can't <laughs> come with you on the renee better than Catherine zeta jones okay i mean hey neither did I the academy so either. Oh God. Well, well, no, but she got her revenge with this Judy Garland movie that I heard is <laughs> yes. interesting. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I think it. she also won the next year for, Oh God, cold mountain. Am I going to say that wrong? Is that a movie? No that way. Exists? No way. Cold mountain was years before that. No, it was oh, the no, year after, after this. Yeah. And Zellweger oh, after won. Chicago. Yeah. Zellweger won, um, supporting actress for the year after. I, th- I do think I've seen people say that they think that, them giving Zellweger supporting actress the year after Chicago was kind of their like, sorry, we didn't give it to you last year award, which is very funny. Has she ever sang Renee Zellweger before this, like in a movie on the big scale? Cause I, I feel like there was a, there was a risk there. I don't, not that I'm aware of, as far as I know, this was her first time singing. And then later she would sing in down with love a little bit. And a big reason famously why they do a number in Down With Love is because her and Ewan McGregor both starred in kind of high-profile musicals 
with Moulin Rouge oh. and this. So they were like, oh, we should write them a number because people like them singing. So that's why Down With Love has like a number at the end of it. Um, so I'm going to assume she hadn't sung that much before this. I, I think she does a good job. It's good. I just don't have – the thing is, is I don't have the notes. You know what I mean? Mm. I will say the the Broadway Roxy is lovely Charlotte Debois who controversially took over for Christina Applegate in Sweet Charity when she broke her ankle and was better yeah. than her. Um, <laughs> I remember, which, I, uh, yeah, I remember that. That that production of Sweet Charity. And then you um, then you wonder why they never produced it ever again at that scale. Hmm. Anyway, the point is, I thought she played it a little too Looney Tunes. Thought it was kind of silly. And I think that there is a, I'm sure that that's also playing it up for however, you know, you've been doing it for like 30 years. You would know more than I would, Charlotte mm-hmm, Dubois, mm-hmm. I admit. But um, I thought Renee Zellweger played it. And the material also invites a more sinister read. Yeah. Which she rises to, I think. I would agree. Yeah. I think especially because they're playing with the kind of delusional inner mind of Roxy. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. She takes it on. I really, I really dig it. Like it's just something I don't normally see from her as an actress. I think that she was having such an amazing run in this era where she was kind of doing a bunch of different things and they were all really impressive and interesting. And uh, she's an interesting actress to me. I really, I, you know, I also, you know, famously love down with love. So I'm a Renee girly. When are we doing Bridget Jones's diary on this show? She is so fucking good in bridget jones like genuinely like so good in that movie have you ever seen it no oh it's so it's i think you i genuinely think you'd enjoy it it's it's like wry british humor uh in a rom-com and it's you know rip on pride and prejudice and rachel and i watch it pretty often around christmas because it's kind of a christmas movie um she's like genuinely so good in that movie (laughs) like really she's really brilliant in, in bridget jones i think i think she was Okay, don't quote me on this. She might have been nominated for an Oscar for Bridget Jones's Diary. I'm not kidding. I believe that may have been true. She was nominated for Best Actor. Well, I'm getting better at my Academy Awards knowledge. I'm feeling I'm feeling really good. Catherine Zeta-Jones, also great. I don't have a lot of Catherine Zeta-Jones takes. I'm seeing that she was in the movie America's Sweethearts with <sighs> Julia Roberts, Billy Crystal, John Cusack, Hank Azaria, oh, The wow. Tooch. Christopher Walken and Austin Powers own Seth Green. So when are we doing that one? Okay. That is a, I was again, wow. Before recording, we were talking about that thing you do. And I was saying that's a, that's a peak McKinsey and her grandpa movie. America's Sweethearts is another like McKinsey Papa movie. And Catherine Zeta Jones has a part in that film where she's calling Julia Roberts's character. Her, whose name is Kiki. And she's going, kiki, 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 kiki. And my grandpa loves doing that. So my grandpa loves impersonating Catherine Zeta-Jones whenever we're around each other, which I find very funny. There you have it. When are we doing it? When are we doing it? Catherine. Also, she's in Zorro, Episode right? 100. Yeah, she's in the 90s Zorro, which I also haven't seen. She's in something else. And she's fab. wonderful here. We, did we cover oh, that? Yeah. I feel like we've covered that. No, she's great. And I mean, I feel like we'll have a matter, but even more space to talk about her during I Love Gold because she fa- she was very famous. Uh, I feel like a very big like Oscar win for this film was, was Catherine. Yes. She's in High Fidelity, too. Wow, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. She was in that Rock of Ages that was done in 2012. I forgot. When, 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 when? When? We, podcast Vampire, I swear to God, is afraid of Rock of Ages. Dude, 
Rachel and I watched that, I want to say recently, but it's probably like a year ago. And we were like, why is this actually a good Tom Cruise performance? (laughs) I've never seen it. I genuinely find it to be a deeply committed, weird Tom Cruise performance. And I like it because he's in the midst of Mission Impossible action hero. And he's like, yeah, I'll take a break and go do this weird fucking musical. Uh, And he kind of, he commits to it in a way that is so impressive to me. Can I ask a bold question? Please. So in the last five minutes, we've talked about Bridget Jones's diary, <laughs> Rock of Ages, the whole gamut of films. Yes. Do you have anything left to say about Chicago? <laughs> I could talk forever. I know we have to keep moving, though. Do we want to Christine Baranski. Hit... Christine Baranski. Yeah, we could quickly hit some popcorn notes. Maybe hit the last couple people we haven't mentioned. When is Baranski going into the hall? I got to know. When is it going to be her year? I mean, returning from the birdcage. We love Baranski. We love hilarious in the birdcage. She's amazing in the Grinch, which we will watch one day. She is mind blowing high camp in the Grinch. She's amazing in Mamma Mia. Does your mother know that you're out? Uh, Into the woods. Rob Marshall's into the woods. She returns. (gasps) Oh my God. Bowfinger, another iconic McKenzie deep lore film. She is hilarious. in, and I cannot wait until we do Bowfinger. I love, by the way, I love how this has now become the show is just us <laughs> reading the actors credits. We were so, we so thoroughly covered all the Chicago takes that it is now time to talk about the Grinch. I mean, my takes <laughs> on Chicago are that I think it's fucking perfect. Uh, and like, I, we, we could have gone number by number, but I got nervous about being too long and now we're still too long and we're just talking about silly shit. Let's well, do some popcorn Well, that's what we do notes. is the thing. Let's do some popcorn notes. Kev, you got any popcorn notes? See, the other thing is also, we're going to get into it, but like we did all the numbers. We didn't talk about the razzle dazzle, but this is an escape hatch. We're not going to go beat by beat. So I feel good about it. There you go. Popcorn note number one, the old razzle dazzle. (laughs) That's your number one. That's like an hour and a half into the movie. And that's your first popcorn note. No, 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 no. Oh, I, I love the old razzle dazzle though. Uh, I wrote a lot about the mid-2000s movie musicals, and we ended up discussing that on the show. Oh, can we talk about the computer-generated Chicago that sticks out like a sore thumb and is quite weird looking? What are you talking about? It looked CG to me. The outdoor scenes, they look Oh, fake. yeah. Is that Very weird? CG. Very CG. Absolutely. A far cry from Dick Tracy map paintings and <laughs> King Kong 05 New York. Wow. Can you imagine? But- Check out how the themes reverberate across the Austin Danger podcast canon. Um, there's a woman who, when Queen Latifah is about to come out, there's a woman who says, long as you keep her happy. Yes. And she looked famous to me. I do not know who it is. That is Chita Rivera. I knew it. I knew it. Great cameo. Thank you for that. Yeah, I that was in my notes. Uh, I love her. She had to have been in... I mean, she was obviously like the original uh, Anita, right? She was one of the original Anitas in West Side Story. Sure. And I know she's she did Fosse stuff. Yeah, she was nominated for a Tony Award, I think, for the original cast of Chicago. So I think she was the original. Vivi right. Newworth was Velma right. in the revival, right? So I think that she- Cheetah right. was the original Velma in the early, in the 70s production. So I think that's kind of the reference that they're doing. The little wink there by having the original Velma Kelly uh, in the movie. Which I love. Oh, here's something. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I'm gonna read this one out loud. Two back to back. 
One, laughed out loud at the insert shot of the woman's crotch during cell block tango. <laughs> Two, Richard Gere is blisteringly handsome, even in the newsy fit. He's yes. playing it so subtle in the book scenes, too. Yeah. Boom. Um, here's something. When they take Roxy to the doctor on stage, he hands him like a roll of money. And I did not see that happen. Was was Richard Gere physically intimidating the doctor? I think the impression is that Roxy gave the doctor sexual favors. Um, because oh, okay. When, well, that, yeah. yeah, because she's naked. In the, you can kind of see she's nude. Oh, I didn't and even then, see that. Um, well, you only see her kind of from like the mid back up because the door's closing. But then, you know, he does his whole, would you swear to that in court? And the doctor says yes. And then Billy Flynn says, zip your fly up. So... Uh, I think with that line. Oh, duh. Oh, my God, Kevin. Was I get... even, did I even watch this? <laughs> we're supposed, I think we're supposed to get the impression that the she she blew him, I guess. I have no idea. We don't need to know. This is not Bob Fosse. <laughs> Rob Marshall, we answer my questions. Know. Did Roxy Hart give the doctor a blowjob? <laughs> These are the burning questions. <laughs> Jay, Jamie Lee Curtis in Chicago. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> what um, do you think happened? There's this whole thing with Roxy's diary that is, I believe, new. Oh, really? Wow. Because in the stage version, there's this wackadoo thing where Roxy gives her side of the story in court. And that has all been replaced with this intrigue around the diary, I think. Oh, I don't remember. I mean, I haven't seen the production in a while, but I like the diary. I like the the use of it and... um how it's Billy manipulating Roxy even. Um, I think it's a fun reveal that he was the one who planted the diary. It's better and cleaner. And I think also the Amos stuff gets cleaned up in the collateral damage of that, Mm -hmm. where now there's no need to have Amos flip flopping and stuff. And you could have him in one particular way, Yeah, which does also kind of remove his direct agency, but that's, he sings the song you want. So yeah, (laughs) go home. Uh, that's my last popcorn note is a big thing about the diary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Mackenzie, please, if you have them, pop them if you got them. I'll pop them. Yeah, I wrote that cheetah cameo. Thought it was amazing. Glad that came up in your notes. We didn't talk about her too long, but I mentioned, you know, Queen Latifah as Matron Mama Morton. I love her in this. I love when you're good to mama. She just feasts on that number. It's amazing. I have just the biggest smile on my face when i watch that number all of the the little puns the little sexual innuendo uh queen latifah nails it she's such a wonderful musical performer and she's one of my highest rated actresses on letterbox because like every movie she's in i get five stars because I, I love that i love last holiday i love set it all taxi never seen taxi but <laughs> which is why her average the hierarchy is high. yeah <laughs> The hierarchy of your Queen Latifah reading is about yeah. to change. Yes. Um, but I do I do love Queen Latifah. Uh, icon, queer icon. I love her. She's amazing as Matron Mama Morton. Speaking of her, too, um, I wish they had kept... So in the stage production, uh, Mama and Velma have a duet called Class that is yes, so funny. And good. every time I've seen it, the stuff I've seen the production twice when I was in high school. And every time I see it, that like the audience is 
obsessed with that number because the if the actresses know how to milk it, it can be really, really funny because there's a lot of very fun jokes. They're rhyming class with ass. It's like, and I kind of, I see where it would have happened in the film, right? When they're kind of undressed and they're listening to the trial. Uh, and I kind of, I understand that they probably cut it just to keep the flow of the story moving. Um, but I do wish they had kept class because I think it's on the soundtrack actually. So I think they recorded it. Um, so that's just a number I miss. I, I recommend seeking it out if you like Chicago and you never heard it. It's just Matron, Mama Morton, and Velma complaining about stuff. And it's very funny. The Cell Block Tango, which we touched on, is such an amazing production number. Maybe one of my favorite production numbers in musical theater. Uh, everyone in this number is so hot. I wrote The Arsenic Woman, if I speak. Her <laughs> abs and her cleavage. I was like, excuse me? There was one time, sorry, this is not my popcorn nose. One time I was watching Chicago on TV. It was like on TNT or something. Again, if I saw it, I would just put it on. And she says, I, I can't remember if it's her. I think it is her, the arsenic woman, because um, she says, single my ass. And on TV, you can see that she's saying ass, obviously. But they overdubbed it for her to go, single my eye. And I used to think that was so funny. <laughs> Those are so, so good. Every time I hear that, I hear single my eye. Um, <laughs> so that's great. Also, he ran into my knife. He ran into my knife 10 times. I wrote bar crowd cheering dot gif. I love that line so much. He ran into my knife 10 times. It's just hilarious. Uh, there's just a section of my notes where I just wrote, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, we both, oh, yes, we both, oh, yes, we both reached for the gun, the gun. I just, all caps, did that. That me. should have been my letterbox log for this. <laughs> it was almost my letterbox log was just all caps, the lyrics to that song. Uh, I love the way that's done with the marionette puppets. The choreography for that is so much fun. The design, the production design that is maybe some of my favorite in the film, even though I love, again, all of it. Yeah, uh, every it really number- comes together. Yeah. Every number, I was just like, all bangers, no skips for me. I love every number in this. The movie magic for me of the mirrors and the Roxy number, uh, they they just delight me every time. The way she's like spinning in darkness and then will hit a mirror. It's just so magical to me and uh, I love it. Uh, I love Velma going, shit, when uh, <laughs> when she uh, Roxy reveals she's pregnant, quote unquote. And yeah, I think the last thing I wrote was, man, this movie fucking flies. This movie is almost two hours long and it flies by. It is such a fun, breezy watch. Uh, I love this movie so much. It shouldn't be a shock. I'll go ahead and go in that this is a five-star movie for me because it's a movie I've loved my whole life pretty much. And uh, it's a movie I will continue to watch for the rest of my life. Uh, And I adore it. It is one of, if not my favorite movie musical ever. Uh, And I love this movie. So I'll just, I'll be quick. I know we're running very late. So Kev, what is your final thoughts and ratings on this film? Me likey five stars. What more is there to say? It's great. It's Chicago. It's always been great. I am. Oh, I have things to say about it that are not positive necessarily, but they're more constructive. I think, I think they're constructive and not negative. Um, And that's how I feel about it. And I love it for what it is, not for what it is not. Five stars. I thought you were going to go lower because of those critiques, but I'm, 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 we stand together. We stand united. It's a, it's a low five. <laughs> it's teetering to a four and a half. We're, it's almost we're there. inventing. Yeah, we're inventing the low five. Could you imagine? Oh, right. <laughs> it's right. a 5.0001. You ready? Let's do our little show. I 
love gold. So this is actually a pretty massive week for I love gold. Um, at the Academy Awards. This movie was the, you know, this was during a period where every year they kind of like one movie kind of cleaned up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in this case, the, the, the movie was Chicago won best picture. Catherine Zeta Jones in that thunderous performance as Velma Kelly won best supporting actress. Mm -hmm. Also best art and set decoration. Absolutely. Yes. Best costume design, best editing, best sound, as well as nominations for Renee Zellweger, John C. Riley, Queen Latifah, Rob Marshall, Bill Condon, the director of the live action Beauty and the Beast. Wow. Dion Beebe for Best Cinematography. And finally, Best Original Song. The original composers, John Kander and Fred Ebb, wrote a song called I Move On, which was written to be nominated for Best Original Song. <laughs> I honestly think why you're right. Had, and this spoiler alert for those who go to look, uh, lose yourself from eight mile one that year. And I think that it had that song not been so undeniable. I could have seen, I move on winning only because it's candor and Ebb. You know what I mean? Like they're literally like yes. some of the most iconic, you know, writers in, of all time. So like I, I could have seen, had that song not been so unstoppable, I could have seen it totally winning. I agree. I agree. I also want to note that this is the year that Adrian Brody kissed Halle Berry at the Oscars without asking, which seems rude. And also, Hayao Miyazaki won the Best Animated Feature Award for the legendary Spirited Away. Wow. This is a crazy year. Very fun year. Chris Cooper wins Best Supporting Actor for Adaptation as well, which is undeniable. Uh, Almodovar, my boy, Pedro, winning for Best Original Screenplay for Talk to Her. And of course, the coward criminal Roman Polanski, who won Best Director for The Pianist, stayed in France where he belongs and not did not come to accept his award from an American prison. Uh, as is what would have happened. Uh, that is the Oscars for this year. Mackenzie, any comments on the Oscars? I mean, you know, Polanski's a piece of shit. Uh, and there is also some, we, we talked about it in other films. There's a tinge of like, eh, about Chicago because of Miramax. But um, yeah, this whole era yes. of the Oscars, this like five-year run of the Oscars is kind of run by the Weinsteins. But hey, I'm happy Chicago won so much. Uh, I think it's a, deserved that it swept and it um i can see this how, how, why it was such an exciting film it felt like kind of the return to the movie musical for the academy uh at its time right where musicals used to win much more often and much more frequently and then they kind of died out as we went into the 70s and new cinema and the 80s of, of the blockbuster and uh and 90s of the epic right the epic and the indie and so it was kind of a return to the classic musical in a way that i think is is fun and i think that's probably why the academy flipped out over it moving on at the baftas a lot of nominations okay 12 nominations only one winner Catherine zeta jones best wow. supporting actress wow. again like just a mighty performance Seems like she was like the undeniable sweep for the season that year. It sounds about right. That's what I'm looking at. Phoenix Film Critics Society Awards gave it to Catherine Zeta-Jones. The Grammys gave Best Compilation Soundtrack Album for a Motion Picture Television or Other Visual Media. Can you believe that I Move On also lost the Grammy? (laughs) That's funny. Wildlife. 
Moving on now to the Teen Choice Awards. I love these. What a wonderful time capsule of 20 years of entertainment. The Teen Choice Awards from 1999 to 2019. Literally. Because of COVID. Queen Latifah was nominated for Choice Movie Actress. Also for Choice Movie Breakout Star Female alongside Beyonce for Austin Powers and Goldmember. Hey, Goldmember. Lucy Liu was nominated. We didn't talk about this in the film, in the in the discussion. I mentioned Lucy Liu's her, in yeah. this movie. Lucy Liu's in this movie for maybe two minutes. She, she was looks nominated incredible. for. She does look well. That's always true. That's true. Like she's like literally the most beautiful woman on earth. Like it's like her and Salma Hayek are like the two most beautiful women to exist. <laughs> but let's not get too far away from choice movie hissy fit, which is what she was nominated for. <laughs> oh my it God. went to Adam Sandler and anger management. And frankly, this is an award that feels like an intern came up with it to wrap (laughs) around an anger management commercial. I have to be honest. I mean, yeah. Also nominated for Best Hissy Fit, and this is how you know they were really stretching, Sean Hayes for The Cat in the Hat. (laughs) I love it. Fired. (laughs) Fired. Fired. These nominees. Wow, Chicago... Go ahead. No, these just these nominees are so wild, and these categories are wild. Renee Zellweger was nominated for Choice Movie Liar, which is, you know, we talked about it pre-show, and when you talked to me about it, I was like, what movie could have come out that year about lying? Boom. The winner was Leonardo DiCaprio for Catch Me If You Can, everybody. So I love they're not even thinking about the other movies that both Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey got nominated in that for <laughs> How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. But also like Colin Farrell for Phone Booth. Is that a spoiler about that movie? Because like I've never seen that movie. Is he a liar? Is there a lie? I don't know. We made we should do Phone Booth. We should do it. Made Manhattan. Jennifer Lopez. She's a liar in that movie. I have no idea. Anyway, the Teen Choice Awards are silly. We're going to keep coming back to them. Can I tell you? As Go ahead. This does not have to do with film, but I was scrolling further down, and they have Choice Reality Babe, and Paula okay. Abdul won that for American Idol in 2003. What year is it? 2003. There you go. What are the, who are the nominees for Choice Reality Babe? No nominees. She just got the award. And um, Ashton Kutcher for Punked, one choice reality hunk. And again, no nominees. They just gave wow. them these awards, I think. Keep in mind, this is on Fox. Choice scariest so. reality moment is American Idol when Ruben made the bottom three. Oh, bottom three. I was about to say, he was the winner. Like, of course he made it to the end. Okay. God, this is a time capsule if I've ever seen God. one. This is, this is insipid. This is, I cannot <laughs> believe this. When Ruben made the bottom three, that was the scariest <laughs> reality moment. What about when that grown man got stabbed on cheaters? Please. <laughs> Might not have been the same year. Oh my God. There are so many categories. Okay. We got to keep moving. I'm going to call it an I love gold. The critics love this movie. It was nominated for 129 nominations and 58 wins. Folks, IMDb is your friend if you want a full list. This is just but an abbreviated. Oh, uh, Richard Gere won Breakaway Performance at the AARP Grown Ups Awards. Oh. What is a breakaway? We got to do some some research what on a, what is a yeah. breakaway performance. He'd been around for quite some time by the time he got to Chicago. This is, but this is post Runaway Bride, the hangover of Runaway Bride. 
set in. And I mean, kind of disappears after this. Pretty Woman. Well, we're like that's like fifth. This is like over a decade after Pretty Woman. I feel like is the next thing he would do that's big is Shall We Dance, which is a movie only I like. There you go. <laughs> I can't. I haven't seen it. It's him and J Lo and Susan Sarandon. What more could you need? All right, I'm calling it. That is I Love Gold. Now it is time to move on to the Alan Parsons Project. This is our segment every week where we tie our film into the Austin Powers trilogy. And this week, it's mostly people deeply, deeply behind the scenes. Like our friend Erwin H. Kupitz in the makeup department who brings us the Megan Fox movie Jonah Hex. Okay. Oh, boy. Oh, but at the same time, the uh, the Jim Jarmusch film Only Lovers Left Alive, which is very well liked. Oh, wow. So we'll do that one day. And the 2009 Star Trek. So thank you very much, Erwin. Nice. Next up, Demi Debbie, bleh. next up, Debbie Dats Pyle, the late Debbie Dats Pyle, hmm. who is returning from Spider-Man. We'll be talking about when we covered The Matrix, Tim Burton's The Planet of the Apes, and The Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause. <laughs> oh my God. Finally, finally tonight, Magic A. Moreno returns from King Kong, and we'll be returning again when we do the Friday the 13th reboot. Paul Giamatti's John Adams miniseries and Mr. Magorium's Wonder Emporium. He worked as a digital transfer engineer. So he is the uh, person who makes the movie work in the computer. So good job. <laughs> there you are. You're over there. Um, we did get a you over there from our dear friends, all of us, but it is for T2. So we're going to save that until next week. And we've been seeing your reviews on Chicago and on black Adam, and we've been liking them on our HQ page. This is already going a little long. So as always, the best way to make your voice heard is to email us at austindangerpodcast at gmail.com like Zolidus did. And we'll be sharing that email next week when we talk with Brandon about T2. And you can also email us about T2. But if you log T2 on your letterbox, you can tag us, Austin Danger Podcast, Austin Danger Pod, whatever you like. We will find it. We will like it on our HQ page. So it's highlighted for all of our followers to see. Um, and if we have time, hopefully in the next coming weeks, we will eventually get back to you. Uh, being a bit more short-winded so we can share some of your reviews. We're trying really hard. The movies are really good and we <laughs> cannot stop. Like we're trying, I listener, I promise you we are trying really hard. <laughs> we okay? just talk too much. So if you want to email us about T2, about Chicago, about anything we've talked about, you can do that. Awesome. Danger podcast, gmail.com tag your reviews, et cetera, et cetera. We got a big couple of weeks ahead of us, Kev. Oh my God. Do we ever next week? Brandon Ulrich, the Arnold historian, joins us for Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And the week after that, our dear friend Bex is going to be joining us to discuss one of the one of the I would say like the hype is overloaded right now. It is a supernova. Yeah. Around yeah. Getter yeah. Groig's Barbie. Yeah. Like, listen, if Bobby Ops dropped the hype on Barbie in the desert. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Nuclear. Bobby Ops. But that is next week and the week after that. It's time for us to go home. I'm so tired. <laughs> From Mackenzie, this is Kev. Austin Danger Podcast. Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. 
Thanks for listening. Oh, but Kev, before we go, I want to say I just was pinged on Twitter of some late breaking Austin news that I I need. It's dropping tonight, the night we're recording Wednesday, July 12th. This news has dropped as of 28 minutes ago, and I need to share. I need to share it with you. I'm so scared. I'm terrified. So late Austin news. I get on Twitter and I see Gwyneth Paltrow, who we know as, uh, oh my God, what's her character's name in Goldmember? She's in Goldmember. So she's one of our- She's Dixie Normus. She's Dixie Normus, yes, in Goldmember. In Austin Pussy. And if you recall, a couple months ago, she was a part of a trial that was happening that- um, we taught, we covered on Austin news because she's a part of the Austin oeuvre. Apparently there is a documentary called Gwyneth versus Terry, the ski crash trial that is officially in the works as announced 28 minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I knew that already. Oh, damn it. I was hoping I could reveal (laughs) it to you live on air. Who is developing that again? It's coming to Warner Brothers Discovery UK, it says. Oh, there you go. That's who it is. See, this is the anti-strike stuff now. Is they're going to the UK to make uh, Gwyneth Paltrow skiing documentaries. The first line of this Variety article is, those six fateful words, you skied into my effing back, are set to be immortalized on the small screen. <laughs> okay, if this is like... I really do think that if Ryan Murphy gets back with Disney, which is currently in the works, which is funny because there's a writer strike. Anyway, look, if Ryan Murphy and Disney get back together, they have to do an American crime story <laughs> of this with Sarah Paulson <laughs> as Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. Required. And we get an hour on goop and we get an hour on this doctor's wacky life. Yes. Well, Period. I'm sorry. I wasn't able to reveal that to you, but maybe I reveal that to our audience. Maybe this will end up on the cutting room floor. Maybe this will end up after the episode. Maybe we're hanging out after the episode right now. I don't know. I feel like this is a good episode for many things hanging out after the episode. (laughs) Yeah, let's just go ahead and say this is after the episode. You're after dark with us right now. My failed attempt to surprise Kev with anything. It's okay. Hey, listen, I'm a I'm just a a freak. (laughs) 